morning. We'll begin in uh, Psalm 19. Psalm 19 and verse 1. Verse 1, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day utters speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where the vo their voice is not heard. Their sound or their line has gone out throughout all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tabernacle for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, and rejoices like a strong man to run its race. Its rising is from one end of heaven and its circuit to the other end, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The heavens declare the glory of God. And it says that the firmament, or the, ex the, the expanse of heaven, shows his handiwork. So, the things that are in the sky, it says, the heavens and the sky and everything in it, it says it declares something, it's speaking God is speaking through these things. And he's not just speaking to the believer. He is speaking to the unbeliever. He's speaking to all of us. And that's the question in today's message. God is speaking. Do we hear him? Are we in a place where we hear him? It says, day into day it speaks. Night into night reveals knowledge. And it says, there's no language or speech that doesn't hear this, that they can't under, understand this, where the voice of these things is not heard. In the book of Proverbs it says that wisdom cries out in the streets. God's voice is going out. But it says in verse 4, the sign has their sound has gone out throughout the whole earth, and their words to the ends of the world. God is speaking. Well, I don't hear that. He's not speaking in the way that we can determine with our ear, for the most part. I'm not saying never, but for the most part, that's not what he's talking about here. 
It says that God is his his glory and his handiwork are being spoken of through the things he's created. And he talks about the suns rising and going down. That God is speaking through these things to all of creation. And in Romans chapter 1, he says a similar thing. Romans 1, 18, says, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the, excuse me, who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. The word suppress means to hold it back. They hold back the truth and unrighteousness. It says, because what we may known of God is revealed to them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so they are without excuse. There is no one who is going to have an excuse and say, well, I never heard about God, because God is speaking himself through the things he's created. God is speaking. I remember before I was a Christian, I saw many autumns, many fall seasons. But after I became a Christian, I remember the October after that. It was like I was looking at the work of the grand artist in the fall. God had shown me his glory in a way I had never seen before. I had seen the change of seasons in the fall many times before. But all of a sudden it spoke to me in a way that I had never perceived before. The beauty that I just completely overlooked. I hadn't seen it. But why? God shows it to us. But are we suppressing the truth? Are we holding back the truth in our lives? God is speaking of us every day. Day after day, night after night. But do we hear him? Are we perceiving what he's communicating to us? And that's a very challenging thought, isn't it? If God is always speaking, how come I'm not always hearing it, or perceiving it, or accepting it? How come I'm not getting it sometimes? And so, to really uh, take a little look at human nature and how man suppresses a truth. We're going to look at a particular person in Numbers 22. We'll begin in a man who suppressed the truth and unrighteousness. And we'll take a look at this man and see what we can come to understand. Numbers 22. It's the fourth book of the Old Testament, Numbers. 22. 
Dave, if you could, uh, could you read for us, uh, starting in chapter 22 and verse 1? <clears throat> then the children of Israel moved and camped in the plains of Moab on the side of the Jordan across from Jericho. Now Balak, the son of Zippor, saw, that all, saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites. And Moab was exceedingly afraid of the people because they were many. And Moab was sick with dread because of the children of Israel. So Moab said to the elders of Midian, Now this company will lick up everything around us as an ox licks up the grass of the field. And Balak the son of Zippor was king of the Moabites at that time. Then he sent messengers to Balaam, the son of Beor at Pethor, which is near the river in the lands of the sons of the people, to call him, saying, Look, a people has come from Egypt. See, they, they covered the face of the earth and are setting, settling next to me. Therefore, please come at once. Curse this people for me, for they are too mighty for me. Perhaps I shall be able to defeat them and drive them out of the land, for I know that he whom you bless is blessed, and he whom you curse is cursed. So the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian departed with the diviners, or diviners' fee in their hands. And they came to Balak and spoke to him the words of Balak. And he said to them, Lodge here tonight, and I will bring, you, bring back word to you as the Lord speaks to me. So the princes of Moab stayed with Balaam. Then God came to Balaam and said, Who are these men with you? So Balaam said to God, Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, has sent to me, saying, Look, a people has come out of Egypt, and they cover the face of the earth. Come now, curse them for me. Perhaps I shall be able to overpower them and drive them out. And God said to Balaam, You shall not go with them. You shall not curse the people, for they are blessed. Okay. <clears throat> so just for clarity, what did God tell Balaam? Uzziah, what did he tell Balaam? Not to. Not to what? Not to curse him. Right, not to curse him. And something else. Because they were blessed. Yes, but not to go with them. Right? Don't go with them and do not curse them because they are blessed. It's a very simple command, right? Don't go with them, and don't curse them, right? Balaam heard that, right? Okay. So that's, just want to emphasize that what God told Balaam. Okay. All right, Dave, continue reading, if you wouldn't, at verse 13. So Balaam rose in the morning and said to the princes of Balaam, Go back to your land, for the Lord has refused to give me permission to go with you. And the princes of Moab rose and went, back, went to Balak and said, Balaam refuses to come with us. Then Balak again sent princes more numerous and more honorable than they. And they came to Balaam and said to him, Thus says Balak the son of Zippor, Please let nothing hinder you from coming to me, for I will certainly honor you greatly, and I will do whatever you say to me. Therefore, please come, curse the people for me. Then Balaam answered and said to the servants of Balak, Though Balak were to give me his 
house full of silver and gold, I could not go beyond the word of the Lord my God to do less or more. Now therefore, please, you also stay here tonight that I may know what more the Lord will say to me. Okay. So, we begin to see here something that's going on with this man. God was speaking, but he was trying to find a way to obey God, but yet get what he wanted. You see, he understood the will of God, but he also wanted the will of Balaam. And that's prevented him from... When these people came back to him again, he said, look, you want me to ask? I already asked God. He said, I'm not allowed to go with you. I'm not allowed to curse them. They're blessed. But Balaam didn't do that. He said, well, you know, stay another night and we'll see what else God has to say. So he's trying to find a way to manipulate the situation to, to do not only God's will, but to do his own will. You see, and he's hearing God, but he's really not wanting to hear what God's saying. He doesn't want to accept God's will. There's something else motivating him. And this is where Jesus said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. That there's things that in the human heart, the Bible says the human heart is corrupt. Beyond all things. Who can know it? And Jesus said that's the source of defilement is the human heart. And it needs to be changed. That's why we need to be born again. But after we're born again, we have to understand that Jesus is the Lord. And then when he speaks to us, we're not going to be able to really perceive what he's saying unless we lay our will down. And our own motivations. And that was preventing Balaam from getting it. And you can see it already beginning to happen. And so, what happens next is very interesting. Go ahead, Dave, verse 20. We'll continue on. And God came to Balaam at night and said to him, If the men come to, to call you, rise and go with them. But only the word which I speak to you that you shall do, that you shall do. So Balaam rose in the morning, saddled his donkey, and went with the princes of Moab. Then God's anger was aroused because he went, and the angel of the Lord took his stand in the way as an adversary against him. And he was riding on his donkey, and his two servants were with him. Now the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand. And the donkey turned aside out of the way and went into the field. So Balaam struck the donkey to turn her back onto the road. Then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path between the vineyards, with a wall on this side and a wall on that side. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she pushed herself against the wall and crushed Balaam's foot against the wall. So he struck her again. Then the angel of the Lord went further and stood in the narrow place where there was no way to, t- to turn, either to the right hand or to the left. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she lay down under Balaam. So Balaam's anger was aroused, and he struck the donkey with his staff. 
The Lord opened the mouth of the, of the donkey, and she said to Balaam, What have I done to you that you have struck me these three times? And Balaam said to the donkey, Because you have abandoned me, I wish, you were, I, I, I wish there were a sword in my hand, for now I would kill you. So the donkey said to, to Balaam, Am I not your donkey on which you have ridden ever since I became yours to this day? Was I ever disposed to do this to you? And he said, No. Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes, and the angel of the Lord, standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand, excuse me, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand, and he bowed his head and fell flat on his face. And the angel of the Lord said to him, Why have you struck your donkey these three times? Behold, I have come out to stand against you, because your way is perverse before me. The donkey saw me and turned aside from me these three times. If she had not turned aside from me, surely I would also have killed you by now and let her live. And Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned, for I, have not, I, I did not know you stood in the way against me. Now therefore, if it displeases you, I will turn back. Okay. So, <clears throat> God tells him to go with them. So why does God hold them responsible? God lets them do what he wants to do. And, he's, and then he has the whole thing happen where the donkey saves his life from being killed by the angel. The, the Lord sent an angel to kill Balaam. And he said, well, why did God do that? He told, why did he tell him to go? Because he was indulging Balaam because, you know, he asked God to, you know, he went before the Lord after God told, already gave him his answer because God knew his heart. God knew his heart wasn't right. And so God said, if they come, come to call you, rise and go with them, but only the word which I speak to you, that you should do. And God was angry because he went. But God told him to go. But you see that God had already answered him. God saw his heart. He saw what was motivating uh, uh, Balaam. The, the money, the honor, the power, just uh, the, the, flat, the flattery, everything else, to be able to curse people. As it turns out, Balaam practiced sorcery and divination. Mm -hmm. It says, as we as we look for a deeper into this story, and he went to the Lord, and the Lord allowed him in this situation, even though it's condemned. He was not an Israelite; he was not part of Israel, and it was practiced among all the, the people in the different places. So God allowed him to call on him and answered him, but again. If our heart is not in the right place, then it's going to deceive us. And this man was continually walking in his own deception. He was deceived because of his motivations. And somehow, he, he, he thought he was following God, and, then, and yet, you know, because when they came back a second time, he didn't change his mind. He says, I'll go ask God again. So he still thought he was following the Lord, 
until he's confronted. And then he says, okay, I've sinned. But then, as Dave just read, the last thing he read was, if it displeases you, I'll turn back. Uh, God had sent an angel with a sword in his hand. It wasn't for your donkey, but it killed you. You know, the donkey broke, practically broke your foot, smashing against the wall. He sat down. God actually opened his mouth, and you can imagine what that looked like. Balaam talking to a donkey and the donkey talking back, you know. And yet, after all that, and God rebukes him, and he says, I've sinned, and he kind of gets it that, you know, I've sinned because he said, he didn't say to him, well, you told me to go. He says, I've sinned. He knew what he was doing was wrong. Somehow, you know, it it came clear to him that he had sinned by doing that, even though God told him. He says, I've sinned. But then he goes and says, so if it displeases you, if you really, really, really don't want me to do this, okay, then I won't. But again, man looks at the outward appearance and God is looking at his heart. Jesus is still not right. He says, okay, just go. And he says in verse 35, Dave, if you uh, pick up then. Then the angel of the Lord said to Balaam, go with the men, but only the word that I speak to you, that you shall speak. So Balaam went with the princes of Balaam. Now when Balak heard that Balaam was coming, he went out to meet him at the city of Moab, which is on the border at Arnon, the boundary of the territory. Then Balak said to Balaam, Did I not earnestly send you calling for you? Why did you not come to me? And am I not able to honor you? And Balaam said to Balak, Look, I have come to you. Now I have... Have I any power at all to say anything? The word that God puts in my mouth, that I must speak. So Balaam went with Balak, and they came to Kerjath-Huzah. Then Balak offered oxen and sheep, and he sent some to Balaam and to the princes who were with him. So it was the next day that Balak took Balaam and brought him up to the high places of Baal, that from there he might observe observe the extent of the people. Yeah. So he goes with them anyway. And so then we go into the next chapter in verse 4. And God met Balaam, and he said to him, I have prepared seven altars, and I have offered on each <laughs> altar a bull. Verse 5, then the Lord put a word in Balaam's mouth and said, Return to Balak, and thus you shall speak. And so he returned to him, and there he was, standing by his burnt offering, he and all the princes of Moab. And he took up his oracle and said, Balak, king of Moab, has brought me from Aram. Aram is Syria. So, just for, for recognition. So, Balaam was, lived in Syria. He says, from the mountains of the east, come curse Jacob for me and come denounce Israel. How shall I curse whom God has not cursed? How shall I denounce whom the Lord has not denounced? From the top of the rocks I see him, and from the hills I behold him. There, a people dwelling alone, not reckoning itself among them. Who can count the dust of Jacob or a fourth of the Israel? 
Let me die the death of the righteous, and let my end be like his. And Balak said to Balaam, What have you done to me? I took you to curse my enemies, and look, you have blessed them bountifully. So he answered and said, Must I not take heed to speak with the Lord has put in my mouth? Then Balak said to him, Please come with me to another place from which you may see them, and you shall see only the outer part of them, and shall not see all of them, and curse them there for me. And so he goes with them again. He's hearing God's words, but he's not hearing it. He's not getting it. Can we be like that? Can we be hearing what God's saying and not get it? Because this is human nature. This is the carnal mind, the natural man. God is speaking to this man very directly, face to face. God is meeting him and talking to him face to face. And God is telling him, don't curse him. He puts a word in his mouth and says, How can I curse whom God has not cursed? How shall I denounce whom the Lord has not denounced? So the king of Moab three times takes him to three different places, these high places, and offers all these sacrifices to God. And Balaam goes off by himself and he keeps on trying to do it. What is motivating Balaam to keep on ignoring what God has clearly said from the very beginning? And he keeps on saying it. And he keeps on saying it. He's motivated by the things of the flesh, by the things of the world. He's under Satan's control. And he's motivated by his own will. What he wants. Not what God wants, but what he wants. And it's blinding him. So the fact that he keeps on coming back, because this offer is still out there, he's trying to find a way. He's trying to manipulate things somehow to appease God to get him to change his mind. He's getting, he's listening to Balak and keeps on trying to get God to change his mind. As we know, it says, God is not a, not a man. That he should sin or the son of man, that he should change his mind. When God says something, that's it. You might as well accept it and follow it and try to instead of trying to manipulate or to somehow to go around the word of God. That's what God says. It's time to accept it. It's actually in, the, in the verse chapter 23 and verse 19. God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent or change his mind. There it is right there. Has he said that he will not do it, or has he spoken and will not make it good? So this is uh, Balaam speaking to Balak in his message. So in verse 27, Balak tries the third time. And Balak says to Balaam, Please come, and I will take you to another place. Perhaps it will please God that you may curse them from there, for me from there. So Balak took Balaam to the top of Peor, which overlooks the wasteland. And of course, he 
offer the sacrifices again. You still going along with this? Chapter 24 and verse 1. And Balaam, when Balaam saw that it pleased the Lord to bless Israel, he did not go as at other times to seek to use sorcery, but he set his face toward the wilderness. And at the end of verse 9, Blessed is he who blesses you, curses he who curses you, speaking of Israel. Of course, that made the king of Moab angry, and he didn't get the money and the fame and all the adulation and everything else that was offered him. All the riches, he missed out on it. Or did he? So, it says, at the end of Balaam's prophecy, verse 25, chapter 24, So Balaam rose and departed and returned his way, and Balak also went his way. Balak went back to Moab, Balaam went back to Assyria. But then, what we find out is that something happens that from the Midianites, they begin to, from the Midianites, the children of Israel, who are still with Moses at this time, they hadn't entered the land of Canaan yet, that the children of Israel begin to eat the sacrifices of the Midianites. And some of the women, they take into their camp and commit fornication with these women. It's an awful thing that happens and against the law of God. And then we read how this all took place. Numbers chapter 31. Verse 7. And they warred against the Midianites just as the Lord commanded Moses. And they killed all the males. And they killed the kings of Midian with the rest of those who were with them who were killed. Evi, Rechem, Zer, Hur, Reba, the five kings of Midian. Balaam, the son of Beor, they also killed with the sword. So here's Balaam in Midian. Not in his home. Not in his home country. He's in Midian. What's he doing there? And why did the Israelites kill him? <coughs> Verse 16. Look, these women caused the children of Israel through the counsel of Balaam to trespass against the Lord in the incident of Peor. And there was a plague among the congregation of the Lord. Do you know what happened here? It was very simple. Balaam, because he couldn't curse the children of Israel, he was some, somehow called upon he devised the way to cause the Israelites to be judged by God by influencing the Midianites to get the Israelites to sin against God for committing fornication, eating things offered to idols. It was against their law that God had given them for Moses. Get them to sin. And God certainly did bring judgment against Israel for doing that. But after he brought judgment against Israel, then the judgment came against 
uh, the Midianites, who and and also the guy who counseled them. You see that this man and God saw his heart from the beginning. This man was out to get his reward in, the, in this world. He was out to get his will no matter what. And he kept on somehow trying to push God's will to a certain place that he could get his own will. And for it, he was killed. And in the book of Second Peter, chapter 2 and verse 15, it says about Balaam, it says about false teachers, it says that they go the way of Balaam who loved the wages of unrighteousness. He loved money. And he was willing to do evil to get it. And he tried to appease God and kind of go along God's way and somehow, and he kept on trying to devise a way to get that money. To get his own will. In Revelation chapter 2, verse 14, Jesus himself talks about people in a church. In a church, it says, who are doing what Balaam, it says, taught Balak to put a stumbling block before Israel, to eat things offered to idols and commit fornication. So this evil wise man, so to speak, tried to devise a way to get his own will done. You know, that's the problem that we as Christians struggle with. And that's our own will. And sometimes we don't even realize it. It seems like Balaam somehow deceived himself and thought that he could get away with this, this game he was playing with God. And you know, we can't play games with God. We've got to be real with Him. We have to be honest with Him. No gameplay like this. Certainly, I don't think any of us have ever done anything on this level. But there is a message in it that God is speaking we read God's Word. Hopefully we're reading it every day, or almost every day. Hopefully we're spending time in God's Word and seeking Him in His Word. But when we seek Him in His Word, and He is speaking, and He does speak, because the Bible says God's Word is living and powerful. It's not just any old book. This is God's Word, and He's speaking as we look into His Word. But what is our response? Are we hearing from God? When we look into his word. So I don't know. But we gotta find out. And we have to put ourselves in a in the right place. So how do I put myself in the right place? We must humble ourselves. Because God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. We cannot approach the Lord from a place of pride. From a place of selfish ambition. So well, I don't know if these things are governing my life. I don't know. I'm going to find out. 
David prays a prayer like that, and he says, Search me, O Lord, to see if there's any wicked way in me. Show me, Lord. And when God shows us, then we have to uh, accept it. Mm -hmm. We have to embrace what he's showing us. Mm -hmm. Because God certainly showed this man. And you see that he just kept on trying to dance around it and manipulate and find a way to both make God happy and do God's will and his will and, your, and his own will. Doesn't work that way. Not my will, Father, but your will be done. Jesus, Son of God, said that. And we should do no less. Not our will, but God's will. In Romans chapter 12, it says that we should present ourselves a living sacrifice. And do not be conformed to this world, but be changed, transformed by the renewing of our mind that we may prove what is the good and perfect and acceptable will of God. What is God's will in all these things I'm doing in life? What is God's direction? Or am I just living by the seat of my pants? Just going with whatever I feel, or whatever pops into my head, whatever I just think out of my mind. We're sure to make mistakes and big mistakes that way. But he tells us this process of presenting ourselves a living sacrifice, holy. Sacrifice. A living sacrifice. That we might prove it is God's will. It tells us that we have to take hold of our flesh and put it to death, crucify it, and to crucify our will and all of our selfish motivations, our carnal motivations, our worldly motivations, to put aside all influence of the enemy and offer up our bodies a living sacrifice. And not, not go the way of the world, in the way we think, the way we live, the way we speak. And then, he says, we might, through that, we might hear from God. So we can hear from God. So I want, I, I, want, I need to hear from God. Yeah. It's not that God isn't speaking. It's not that God is not talking to each one of us in this room. It's that we have to put ourselves in a place to hear. And it's not just putting ourselves in a place to hear, but when He speaks, that we perceive, and that we understand, and that we respond the right way. the way the Holy Spirit works in our life. Day after day, utter speech. Night after night, the sound is going out throughout the whole earth. The people of the world, they're drowning it in unrighteousness. 
They refuse to come to the light because they don't want to let go of the darkness. They love the darkness rather than the light. So they hold it back. They suppress the truth in their unrighteousness. We in Christ, God is speaking to us. Not only through creation, not only through the heavens, He's speaking to us through His Word. He's speaking to us day by day in our circumstances. He's speaking to us when we lay down our head at night. When we get up in the morning, even before we get up in the morning, we wake up. We're laying in bed. As we go through our day, some, when we're eating our meals, there's times when God is speaking to us. So I don't hear that. No. But it's not that He's not speaking. We're not, we're not preparing ourselves to hear. Putting ourselves in that place. Where we can hear from God. We say here... We, like again, I've said this before, earlier, but I'll say it again. I'm not meaning necessarily speaking into our ears, but perceiving and hearing through in in a spiritual way. Hearing in the spirit, but God is speaking. God is speaking. Can we hear? Well, God, Dave. I just, <clears throat> a couple of things that just struck me. Um, you know, he, when, when, the second time I think it was, uh, when God had, you know, spoken to him, and then after the angel appeared, and, um, or was that the third, I'm not sure, but after the angel had appeared, and what he said was, when he, with his proclamation, it seemed as though it was repentful. When he said, "I have sinned," yeah. it was yeah. it was uh, the sentence that "I have sinned." I basically where you were there, and it, you know that it displeased you. And it was it's it, when we think about how we are, and it's like you said, our flesh, and when we when we rake this in and not just shovel it out and condemn him and point a finger at him, we see in our own you know na natural. Manner, that tendency to sometimes be okay with trying to trying to appear holy and repentful and right before men, forgetting that it is God who is watching and Him who has spoken, and it's not them who we need to please or that we need to, you know, get approval from. Um, and and I just thought that that really struck me when he said that because it was so common to all of us, you know, that when we really desire something, instead of you know just facing God and saying, "I know you said no," you know, we'll pretend that we're trying to honor God because we're we're you know not secular, not part of the world anymore. We we see ourselves in Christ, and that we all. Are part of the body, and we need to remember that God is God is ultimately the one who's seeing, and that we can't hide from Him. And He says, if we, like we talked about that verse, if we if we regard sin in our heart, then He won't hear us when we pray. And so, what are we 
sacrificing for that moment of, of fake victory before men, we're sacrificing our Heavenly Father hearing us when we pray. You know, and it's just such a profoundly important element in, in us that we remember that God wants us to wholly, utterly annihilate sin in our life, not to leave vestiges of sin alive, you know, just thinking that we can manage them if they're small and that's okay. Because those small vestiges are footholds for the evil one, and the evil one comes right after them because he sees that we're not wholly committed to God, and he sees that we have vulnerability, and he comes knocking. So, you know, we've all, you know, what, at whatever walk, place we are in our walk, from the oldest to youngest, we've all faced this because, you know, Satan is going around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And, and we're not just doing this in a vacuum. We're not just trying to hide it from God. We're actually giving opportunity to Satan. And then we really find ourselves in a, in a heap of trouble later on down the road because we didn't immediately obey God. And then the last thing I wanted to just say is that you mentioned a quote from uh, George Mueller many times and it's so applicable in this particular instance where he says if you really want to you know, go before God and pray and, and hear God and know His will, then 90% of the problem can be solved by making sure before you go there that you empty yourself of your own will. And, you know, and there were five or six stages, uh, and he, he, he brought His will all the way to the very end. You know, we have to empty ourselves and... and and honor God. That's what we, you know, our lives are no longer ours. They're hidden in Christ. We're, we're, we're to, to, our, our life is, we're dead, you know, and our lives are, are his to do with what he wills and to his glory. And, you know, I think that sometimes we don't see how that can bring us happiness and joy because our flesh is crying out for the fake happiness and joy of this world still because we're alive, we're, our, our flesh and our spirit are still warring. And we forget sometimes what incredible joy we receive when we're totally yielded to God. That Those are the moments when we are the fullest of joy, the fullest of you know, happy and fulfilled and all that, you know. Satan's around constantly trying to deceive us into believing that what's in this world is better than what God has for us, and it's just a lie. Mm -hmm.